You're listening to Why We Do What We Do. All right, welcome back to Why We Do What We Do. I'll be here. <laughs> You're still teary-eyed host, Abraham. And I will be your less manipulative co-host, Shane. Look, look at how we flipped that. Look at how we script, flipped that script. We did. If you, if you want another reference, you have to listen to the last episode. Speaking of which, this is a part two. We are following up our last episode with a discussion. We're talking about emotional marketing and picking up where we left off from that discussion. This one is really intended to build directly off of that previous conversation. If you haven't already listened to the episode, I strongly recommend that you go back and check that one out. And so I will just say as a quick reminder that if you are not already supporting us on Patreon, you might consider doing that. It helps us out. You can join for as little as a dollar a month. Pretty low commitment. Yep. You know, if you get Starbucks every day, then this is like a thousandth the cost of that. So, yeah, exactly. And the thing, too, that I think maybe will help folks is like, you know, when when you subscribe to the Patreon, it's not like we are lining our pockets and becoming rich. Like every bit that goes into the Patreon goes back into the show, like improving the quality of the show, being able to bring more people on, creating merch. Like it's really designed to put more money back into the show so we can do more things for y'all. So because right now, and, and this is something I know we've kind of expounded upon before, but it, everybody that's that's working on the show right now is working on a volunteer basis. So like our show notes, writers, our social media people and like we couldn't do this without them. But th- this is a voluntary basis. And so it's pretty neat to see the production that goes into this. But every bit goes right back into the show and making it better for you all. Exactly. So without further ado. Let's real quick recap what we talked about in the last episode, just so that everyone who already listened to that episode is all caught up. (laughs) (laughs) Given that we've recorded this weeks later. That's right. (laughs) And so essentially we we defined emotional marketing. This is uh, essentially a form of advertising or trying to influence people's behavior by using their, by appealing to their emotions, by trying to either evoke emotions or trying to get them to engage in behaviors that would evoke those emotions and to usually it'll focus on a single emotion, be it things like nostalgia, happiness, fear, anger, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And that there are different ways of trying to appeal to emotions. So we have the position from experience and facts and I guess science, if you will, you can try and influence behavior by tuning to your credibility as a presenter, as an influencer. Or you can try and influence people by appealing to their emotions and their emotional states. We also talked about the idea of the goals of emotional marketing, which include branding, purchasing, and consumption. So the idea is that you create kind of an image, you get people to buy stuff, and then you continue to get them to consume whatever that is based on the reward they get out of it, the benefit they get out of it, or the avoidance they get out of it if they're avoiding some other product somewhere. And usually these things are heavily influenced by some kind of emotional response in relation to that product, right? You're you're afraid to use something else. You are leaning into nostalgia where you're happy and you want to produce that same kind of serotonin from when you were like 11 and discovering a Walkman CD players for the first time. You know, like you want to kind of like really dig into those. And that's and those are some of the goals that they, they look at when it comes this type of marketing. And then finally, the the sort of strategies that are used include trying to essentially elicit emotions that are supposed to be tied with specific types of behaviors, 
there is trying to meet you where you're at. So understanding what the emotional state of consumer might be and trying to use that to influence what they might do next. And then finally, leaning on people's orientation to time, such as nostalgia in the past, present moment of focus on what's going on in the present or trying to, I guess, have people thinking about planning and what's coming up in the future. Yep. So where we left off in the last episode is the idea of these emotional hooks and how they work. And so what we're going to do is spend some time talking about different emotions, like general emotions, because remember, we talked about it being on a spectrum before. These are going to be specific general categorized types of emotions that that we're all pretty familiar with. But we're going to talk about how these work in relation to this type of marketing, how it elicits certain responses in relation to that emotion and how it basically influences you to do the things that these companies want you to do. Exactly. And one that comes up a lot because this is. Without having collected data to actually get a really clear picture, my own biased and not scientifically informed experience is that fear is everywhere right now in a lot of emotional sort of marketing and appeals. Yes. And so if you don't support our podcast, you'll die in seven days. <laughs> I, you know, it's funny as I, I so uh, on the notes, it says to be spoken like the ring. Yeah. And I don't remember what that voice sounded like. Cause I, cause w- was it a whisper? I don't remember. All I remember, which maybe I'm confusing that with the grudge is the uh, sound. I think that's the grudge. Okay. Yeah. I think it was the phone call. Also Barack Obama. <laughs> was it Barack Obama? Yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh. Uh, I'm going to talk about uh, the uh, behavioral process. My fellow Americans. All right. <laughs> so fear, you know, you see fear a lot. You see fear mongering. And, and I would make the argument that like some political parties tend to use fear pretty heavily, or at least not maybe parties, but maybe specific politicians. Yeah. There are some talking heads some politicians that this is their primary. This is their go to move is to is fear. So how does that work? Essentially, what happens is is when you fear something, you want to avoid it. You want to get away from it. You want relief from that thing. So you're going to engage in behavior. You're going to do things to move away from whatever it is that's causing fear, right? Like, obviously, if you don't like skydiving, you're not going to go skydiving, right? You're going to avoid planes with open doors. You're probably going to avoid parachutes. You're going to avoid those types of things because they produce a fear in you and they produce that type of emotion that makes you want to stay away from it. Right. And so. The way this works essentially is they are trying to align their target audience's pre-existing beliefs about whatever it is they're afraid of. For instance, a couple watching a family sitcom with their children sees a car commercial depicting a bad accident. So trying to, again, make you afraid might be like, look at this competitor and how their car performed. And, you know, you drive this car, then your whole family is going to burn alive while it's trapped inside by our car instead. Love. Yeah. It's what makes a Subaru. <laughs> I don't know if I've seen that Subaru commercial, <laughs> but we've all seen those commercials, right? I mean, like that smooth voiced guy from Waiting to Exhale is in the Allstate commercials right now. Yeah. And he talks about like car accidents. And he's like, Allstate. Da, 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 da. And you're like, okay, I guess I need to go to Allstate because they're going to protect us. Right. So these insurance or right. car commercials will show some kind of catastrophic event or some kind of accident. And they'll sometimes base it on real events. Like homeowners insurances will base it on like Hurricane Katrina and be like, you don't want this to happen. I'm like, of course I don't want this to happen. I don't need to buy insurance. Get rid of hurricanes. Nuke the hurricane. That's the solution. But the point is, is that they'll show these events. And then they assure you that buying an insurance policy or safety testing a car or any of those things can help you avoid those fates, those fearful things, those events that you don't want to come into contact with. 
And sometimes they'll include countdown timers, like limited time offers. They'll make you fear that you are going to lose out on a sale, lose out on an opportunity. You know, the Disney vault is closing. Disney does this where it's like in seven days, you're not going to be able to get Cinderella. And it's like, I have Disney plus, I don't need it. But you know, that's how they get you. The point is, is that they, they make it so that you are afraid of losing out, afraid of something happening. And then so you engage in kind of a, an essentially an insur- insurance policy so that you don't have to contact that outcome. I learned recently, and this might be entirely wrong, so don't trust me <laughs> on this, but I heard there actually might be a very practical reason for why Disney does this whole going into the vault and re-releasing thing. And this is to avoid their properties going into public domain. And this was like, they knew early on, like public domain has been around for a very long time. And for those of you who don't know, essentially when a piece of media content has been created, it has a certain lifespan where people can publish and sell that property and charge a premium price for it. And after a certain period of time, that copyright is no longer owned by the whatever copyright holding agent is. And they can no longer sell it for a profit and it just becomes freely available or available at a nominal cost, like just the the fee of publishing it. Right. And so what happens is, again, as I understand, is that knowing that that was a process, they would essentially leave a property out for a few a few decades or a couple, you know, whatever their timeline is, put it into the vault, quote unquote. And then when it's re-released, it's now considered technically a new property, meaning that it never enters the public domain. And so they can always continue to sell it. It is. And it's it's a double whammy, too, because by doing that, by having that restriction allows them to sell it for a higher price than it would not it would otherwise be normally sold, as well as avoid it ever becoming free. So it's like you maintain the value of that product as long as people ignore the racism that was implicit in the story that you told. <laughs> yeah, we're looking at you, Dumbo. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Rough. Not, there's, not there, well. there are some rough ones. There are some yeah. rough ones on, on Disney. So. Yeah. Anyway, just leaning on this again. Also, if you if or leaning on this further, if you don't vote Democrat or Republican, apparently we're all going to be communist handmaidens and have your guns and birth control pills taken away. But that depends on your belief in the Twitter panic. Right. So. Which, you know, again, eh, Twitter's a, a cesspool. So but like a lot of those, a lot of the advertising that you saw during the 2020 election was fear mongering on both sides. I mean, you did see that. I mean, it was, you don't, this is, this is this kind of America. You don't want this kind of America instead of being like, here's what we're going to do. Here's what we're going to fix. And it was, it was so pervasive that of course you didn't really know, or of course you're kind of engaging in all this avoidance behavior because I mean, what are you supposed to do? It's nerve wracking. What I wouldn't give to see a politician who stands up there and says, this person who is running over here, like they believe that they're acting in the, in the best interest of this country. I believe that they're well-intentioned people who want to do, who want to do well. Like I, you know, they, we just, we simply disagree on how we're going to get there. Here's why I think that this is the position that I would take and like just treat each other with that kind of sort of mutual respect and understanding Maybe people wouldn't watch as much, but I don't know. I, I would so much rather see that. I don't I don't like the visceral sort of emotion tugging anger. I don't know. And, and and the fear. Oh, man, it's gotten so I mean, maybe it's maybe it's always been this bad, but it is so out of control. This fear of the other. Yes. That has become so pervasive with the talking heads it's just like, you know, these, we need to be afraid of this thing happening. 
This and there's the whole logical fallacy built in here. That's the sort of slippery slope. If this happens, then this is going to happen, and then this is going to happen, and like that stuff is just it's so. I mean, it's a logical fallacy, so it's already absurd. And then it's an appeal to your emotions on top of that, which makes it even more infuriating. And it's just like I, as a consumer, get pissed off being on the receiving end of that. I'm actually surprised more people aren't, you know, like, yeah, I feel like you're trying to make me feel fear so that I'll do what you tell me to. And that's messed up. And like, yeah, I don't know. Like, I hate that feeling. I think that's again, that talks about the idea of like emotions being a spectrum. Like you're not like isolated in fear in your response to this. Now it's producing these other responses, which are possibly backfiring for this type of tactic, right? Like for some folks it will backfire and for some folks it'll work. Yes. It does feel like it works more often than backfires. Yes. But you know, it's sort of a gamble. So yeah. Anyway, speaking of really fun, pleasant emotions, let's turn to anger. Yeah, so essentially, we're really pissed off that you're not a Patreon yet. <laughs> That's the idea here. No, so with anger, again, it's the idea of some kind of reward where you get away from, you get some kind of relief from getting away from that feeling, right? Nobody likes to be angry. I mean, even the Hulk doesn't like to be angry. That's right. You know, I mean, all the Hulk wants is to be left alone, right? That's all he wants. We also don't like the Hulk when he's angry. He doesn't like the Hulk when he's angry. We don't like the Hulk when he's angry. It's it's a bad space for everybody. But the idea is that we, when we have this anger emotion, we tend to want to relieve that. And so we do that in different ways. What's going to relieve my, what's going to make me feel better in this space? Punching a Bobo doll. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I mean, essentially, just as you were saying, the, the whole strategy here is that it establishes some kind of threat that needs to be changed or removed by some action that the the person who is eliciting this emotion in you wants you to take all in pursuit of some issue justice or fairness or unity or mm -hmm. patriotism or diet i don't know whatever it is you know they're they're going to have this i mean this is this is kind of like the ugly step sibling of of fear where i feel like Fear is the one that irritates me the most. Anger is very close on the heels of that. Yeah. Yeah. Of using this of like, I'm either going to scare you into doing what I want, or I'm going to rile up your anger into doing what I want. And both of those are just gross in my opinion. Also too, I think that you can, maybe this is something to consider is like within this space, leveraging the anger that people already have and pointing them in a direction. And I think maybe that's something to consider too, because sometimes that can be positive, right? Where like people are already stewing. So what do you do with that? Because it's probably not healthy to sit there and just live in it. You need to be able to kind of take a second to kind of direct somebody towards that. And, and there are some examples of, of this going in the decent direction, right? Like, so you saw the feminine care brand always that launched a very popular, like a girl campaign a few years ago. It was basically like breaking stereotypes of gender stereotypes, right? It was showing like, like a girl. And it was like just a bunch of kick-ass women doing some really cool things and it was like so that's breaking a gender stereotype you are seeing this kind of anti-plastic straw movement that was basically it kind of started with overlaying pictures of turtles who were suffering from plastic straws and like giving it a face and giving it like oh we can't do this and it makes us so upset but in a quick psa from our friend alan who created the notes on this we shouldn't use plastic straws anymore, but paper straws kind of suck too. Just they suck for different reasons, but they kind of suck. Just stop. Metal straws are a solid compromise. They're reusable. They're unbendable. They're pretty cool in Moscow mules. And when Biden talks of unity, this is where it starts. 
metal straws or no straws altogether or no straws altogether as i use yeah. a rubber straw <laughs> just throw that liquid whatever it is into your face and try and catch as much as you can <laughs> yeah like you have a drinking problem like an airplane <laughs> throwback reference oh my goodness <laughs> that's a very specific reference <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i mean and, and again we're trying we're i think we bring up politics a lot because this is so closely embedded in politics but this is i mean this is very pervasive this is very many places will use a strategy of fear and anger and right now we're talking about anger to you know this is a bad thing that's happening therefore you can you can solve it or get away from it or prevent it by doing x you know Yep, absolutely. Yeah. The next one we have is uh, turning the other direction here. We have happiness or joy. Yes. Yeah. So as we, we like to put it, listen to our podcast and you'll be laughing your ass off. That's right. The process going on here is this is meant to be sort of a positive feel good emotion that you want to seek out. This is trying to encourage voluntary emotion towards something that makes you feel good. You get attention, you get access to tangible outcomes, you get us saying your name at the end of the episode, and mm -hmm. generally you get luckier when you when you listen to the podcast, good things will just have you'll hit all green lights on your way to work. Yeah. And, you know, you'll find a twenty dollar bill just laying on the street when you're walking down. You know, it's all good things happen. Yeah. You don't and you don't even have to share like the like those those memes that are like, you know, here you've been visited by the dollar frog. So reshare this and you'll get a hundred dollars in your next paycheck. You know, it's it doesn't like that. You just have to listen to the podcast. So essentially what happens though is is that product that you prefer, that thing that you like, gets paired with good feelings, right? That consumption of the product feels good, and that's why we continue to engage with that product right like i mean i think of like when i was a kid squeeze it's do you remember squeeze it's no so squeeze it's were like these little juice like not pouches but they're like these little plastic juice bottles that had like funny faces on them okay so like it gets paired with fun because you've got these funny goofy faces on it it tastes like sugar water but it was paired with like you got them after baseball games people would bring them for snacks and stuff and it gets paired with all the stuff so it's easy to market that stuff and then show people hey when you consume this you can have fun i mean that's how cigarette commercials were for a long time right like people who yeah. were having fun were always smoking and like and you're like they were only having fun for a little bit before they had to go get treatment but essentially, like you pair these things, this product with something that looks like it's fun. So, for example, every beer commercial in the history of beer commercials makes drinking a part of unparalleled fun with other social events such as sports, games, music, family, friends, sex, 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 and everything enjoyable under the sun <laughs> sex. Yeah. So who wouldn't want all that? Yeah. Literally every alcohol commercial is fun. Like I even saw one not too long ago that was, uh, it was for an Irish whiskey. I want to say it was for Tullamore Dew, which is the whiskey that I drink. Mm -hmm. And it was, <laughs> it was a group of guys who were sitting outside after like a funeral and they were drinking and they started singing and smiling and having fun. I'm like, somebody, you know, just died. And, and you're now pairing alcohol with grief, but then also fun. So like even in that space, it was like not like serious or anything like that. Drink our whiskey and you won't be sad that your loved one died. Yeah, it was very strange. It was very strange. Another emotion that they try to tackle within this is the idea of belonging. Okay. And so you want to fit in you. you if you want to fit in here. Then just say you listen to our podcast because every cool kid listens to podcasts and every cooler kid listens to our podcast. Right. Everybody knows who Joe Rogan is. Right. But if you want to be hip and you want to be underground, this is the place to be. And I mean, you're already here. So just tell a friend, bring your friends into this cool underground. This isn't like Fight Club. Another cool kid reference. That's, yeah. And you get to you get to be in the position of like, 
look at this cool thing I know about that you don't know about. Yeah, isn't that fun? I think that's how like hardcore started. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Like I think that's like punk and hardcore. It's like, oh, you didn't hear this record? Oh, I like that one, but did you hear about the seven inch? Duh. And that's how you get a bunch of dorks listening to Madball. This is going to sound unrelated, but it actually is related. Do you, did you ever watch the show Arrested Development? <laughs> yes, I did. Okay. I love that show. You know, as when it was originally running toward the very end, they the, the narrator would frequently drop in these like, please tell your friends about our show. <laughs> yeah. I feel like that's what we've been doing these last couple episodes. You guys, we're not at risk of going off the air, I don't think, but we... <laughs> <laughs> We figure because we're doing a marketing episode that we would we would tie in all these. It, honestly, it's like it's kind of just it's meant to be a joke, but it is funny that it it was just reminding me of the what they did with that episode or the the yeah. series as they were preparing to go off the air because their their viewership wasn't very high, even though it, it developed such a cult following afterward. Yeah, the show got canceled and came back multiple times. Keep Tobias blue. Yeah. <laughs> Hashtag restore the blue cut <laughs> so belonging essentially what happens with belonging is that you get additional social inclusion you get social praise you get social connections right and so with with this idea of belonging it, it produces this feeling of like community right if you are belonging to a community or this exclusivity of a club right like you get to go join this club that nobody else is a part of but now you are so now you get in with this exclusive deals and all this stuff and you'll hear this on both sides right it feels good to be a part of a club but you also kind of join clubs like it's isolating right it is kind of elitist and there are some problems with this too yeah now as we all know and have mentioned several times that we are mostly a social species where we're not social it's usually learned but for some reason it seems like a lot of the things that we are generally interested in without very much learning is that we are we're very social that is just how our species sort of works and so being alone and restricted from social interactions can be really unpleasant to a lot of people and that need to sort of belong to some kind of tribe or group as seems to be fairly inherent to our species. And so again, this is just sort of capitalizing on if you don't have a direction, if you don't have a tribe or if you're looking for a new one, or if you want to expand your current network of tribes, then they're going to try and lean on that strategy to make you feel included in this your new elite little group of people who are in the know. So some examples of this include something like Greek life rush weeks, which I have, I have no experience with what this is like. So this is a, maybe a very specific Alan reference, but I'm just going to read verbatim what he said. So Greek life rush weeks promise substantial belonging and inclusion all for the low price of alcohol poisoning, humiliation, and weird sex stuff. (laughs) Okay. One day what we'll do is we'll have Alan come on the show and explain that. And then looking at how ads for Zoom, which I don't feel like they need to advertise really, but they do. Yeah. And another video tablets show family and friends staying connected from all corners of the earth, particularly during a pandemic. You've got that Facebook show, maybe. Is that what it's called? I don't know. Something like that. Doesn't matter. There was this explosion of just promoting video connection to make you feel like you could be closer to people from whom you had to be distant when we are all in lockdown and isolated from one another during the pandemic. And maybe again, if people refuse to get vaccinated as the variants continue to spread out of control, yeah, where we find ourselves is mm-hmm. heading back toward Lonelinessville. Hopefully that does not stay very long. So yeah. another emotion that they try to tackle on, this is, this is really the last one that we'll cover in, in relation to these emotional hooks. And one of and this one is called greed. So basically you should spend all your available time listening to our podcast and no others. We want to round you up and take up all your ear space and be the only sound that you hear 
because we are that greedy for that type of attention. This is another, I guess, process where what they're trying to get you to do is seek out some good feeling. This is, you know, trying to get access to something, usually something tangible in particular, and offer or try to create offers and incentives for some kind of initial starting action that you might take. And so this is the the FOMO, you know, or, you know, buy one, get one limited stock. Don't miss out collector's edition, you know, try and make it. So, you know, you have the special unique thing that is just for you and sort of leaning on that, that emotion, that the appeal of this being yours and yours alone. You know, I hate that this one probably works best for me when it comes to music, <laughs> because like I collect vinyl now. I've been starting to collect vinyl and stuff Attaboy. and I love it, but I tend to gravitate towards colored vinyl because the novelty of it looks really cool. It's like, especially like if you find like the variant colors and stuff like record collecting in that becomes this immediate like, oh, well, there were only 300 of these ever pressed. So I have one of 300. Like you'll see that a lot in like punk and hardcore where like screen printed posters and records and all the stuff will be hand numbered. And you're like, it's exclusive. You, there's only 25 of these in the world. Like, or it's like that Wu-Tang record that was bought by that. That's right. Awful, awful human being. He sold it for like what? Like a million dollars. And like, he's yeah, the, old, it's the only copy in the world. And, and this guy certainly didn't deserve it. I believe. If I'm not mistaken, for a little bit of justice, because everybody, I think most people have like a sense of justice they like. That guy, when he was charged and arrested, he lost his ownership of the Wu-Tang record. Ooh, exciting. Mm -hmm. Am I making it yeah. out into the world? Yeah, fingers crossed. I'm kind of similar, as one might imagine. It's particularly with board games. So when I... <laughs> <laughs> When I back games on Kickstarter, I always have to get like the most deluxe, exclusive, upgraded version of the game possible. Mm -hmm. And like oftentimes they'll come with like, there's like, oh, we're only making, you know, 3000 copies of this. So yours will get a specific number and you'll know like it's only of the 3000. It'll be printed right on the box just for you. You're so lucky. Yeah. And speaking of which, we're going to open up a merch store and there's going to be only uh, 20 signed copies of our of our new logo on that. So uh, make sure you check that out as soon as it goes live. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, we are really leaning into this whole marketing thing, huh? I know, right? Wow. It's brought out the worst in us Im God, that's what happened. <laughs> yeah. So, so, like suddenly we're capitalists. Jeez. Oh, that's how they get you. So on a related note, like, you know, when you start thinking about this too, and start thinking of like the different rewards and stuff, like especially smoking, right? Smoking makes you look like the cool kid. Smoking was like paired with all these things. But if you think about retail, like smoking was not really like the cool kid thing. You got into retail and you contemplated taking up smoking so you can get that extra 15 minute smoke break, right? Like where those like older folks that you didn't really want to belong with, they just got that cool break. So there's a cool tangible there. So I feel like maybe smoking missed the mark by, by not marketing that way. It's like, did you know you can get extra breaks at work yeah. because you're smoking? Like that's how they should have done that. You want to work less often? Smoke more cigarettes. <laughs> yeah i mean and technically they're not wrong you would get more smoke breaks and also retire early probably <laughs> yeah i mean retire from life early but <laughs> yeah that's what yeah that's what I was getting at. <laughs> okay <laughs> it's a thing and definitely people who are like who are smokers like i am addicted like i need this time i need to go smoke i have to you have to let me and really makes it seem like it's this issue that is related to sort of considering their circumstance and sort of like, mm, I yeah. don't know about this thing. <laughs> <laughs> right? Absolutely. 
but that's how they get you those emotional hooks but on the other hand thinking about like the extreme emphasis on productivity in our society where it's like you have to be producing at all times and there are no excuses for taking breaks is also like very silly so when you open the lens up a little bit and take a step back from all the stuff it's a little bit strange our society's a little bit strange i mean don't open it so much that you stop believing in birds but just you know <laughs> just enough or a flat earth or a hollow earth yeah all equally ridiculous until you see certain movies and I until, can't wait. Yeah. Until you see certain movies and you're like, okay, that's how Godzilla gets around. Okay. Can't imagine what you're going to recommend. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's talk about some more ad placement and sort of construction ex- examples. So in an ad for a vacation, you might also include this like ex- exciting party playlist. So, you know, who better to sell you a week long cruise than DJ Khaled or Pitbull? Cause we're taking over folks. Ain't nobody trying to party on the water with Mr. Rogers. <laughs> you know, I don't know. I would probably go on that cruise. It feels like that cruise would be really relaxing. Yeah. And also everybody would be really nice on that cruise. Yeah. I am not going on that cruise. Have fun. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. That's fine. All right. So, you know, like let's talk about Nick at night for a second. Like, so you're going to attach classic rock song CDs ads to those. Like you're that's, those are the folks who are going to buy like the rock of the eighties, you know, like, when people had cable, it was a lot easier to do this, right? Like, so if you have, if you have cable, okay, boomer, it's fine. But like, I read somewhere that they were actually, and this is a real thing. Like one of our friends said that they were watching Nick at night and they were playing shows from when we were kids and they were also playing like nineties stuff on it. Like nineties of the classic rock stations. Wow. So that's where we're at now. So I think we are, I think we're boomers. Do people still watch any TV? It seems like there aren't any TV shows anymore. I don't know. I mean, the, I guess Mass Singer is still around. <laughs> I'm obviously kidding because TV, like, look at all the streaming services that are out and almost all of them are trying to push some kind of TV content. Oh, yeah. Netflix, Disney Plus. I mean, yeah, cable is not a thing, but it, like it seems like the TV show industry is like humming along at a vibrant pace. Yeah, they are fine. Entertainment is OK. Anyway, time of day. People want to place exciting ads in the morning when people have the most energy. Shake weights for the win. <laughs> and then more sort of uh, sobering ads later in the evening when arousal level is at its lowest. So snuggies for the win. <laughs> but you know, you know how for everything else, there's MasterCard. Well, for every time of day, there's porn. <laughs> no need to isolate emotions there, my friends. <laughs> nope, nope, nope. Kidding, nope. kidding, that kidding. That is an all day thing. So when you're looking at the construction, you've got like certain people will be looped into ads. You'll have certain songs that, that have like, you know, similar theming, you'll have the time of day and you also have colors, right? Like we talked about this in the color psychology thing. It's, it's yeah. not that the colors themselves evoke certain responses, but what happens is, is they produce certain, uh, they're paired with certain events, right? So like if I'm going to use warm colors, like red, orange, or yellow, they're going to be paired with certain feelings or certain thoughts where blue, green, purple, they tend to decrease arousal, maybe depending on your experience or your history with that. But those things like, you know, using colors and theming and branding, going back to that, they all produce certain responses. Drunk tank pink. That was not that mm-hmm. long ago. We recorded that one. I know we've so. had so many callbacks in this, ep- in this series. Yeah, seriously. Well, all right. Bottom line here, sex sells. End of story. Yeah. Yeah. Point being essentially that they will strategically try and place ads to capitalize on specific things. There was, as you were mentioning, there was that whiskey thing. Uh, There was a, Mm -hmm. you may not actually realize this because you're only seeing ads when you see the ads that you see, of course, but the ads are largely going to be targeted to you in some capacity. And they use that based on a lot of information. 
But, you know, it's why you don't see, you know, if you are a 17 year old, you're probably not seeing ads in Russian for a type of diaper, you know, and people in like Southern California are seeing all kinds of like ads for organic and all natural and all kinds of things. And people in Texas just see ads that have guns in them. And it's uh, <laughs> just kidding. That's true. Uh, I literally just read a statistic today because I was I was putting together the sex work notes. That was the number one industry in Dallas: guns and drugs. Wow. All right. So mm-hmm. not kidding. Um, <laughs> but point B. So I was actually going to say with the whiskey one that I, there was an ad playing for me that was like it was like bull riding and some kind of whiskey. I was like, wow, you really don't know me at all. <laughs> like whoever was in charge of your of your targeting ads is very off the mark. Yeah. Where did you get that algorithm? Yeah. Like not even close. Do you pay attention to what I watch on YouTube? Gah. <laughs> That's fantastic. I love that. That was that came through. So it's not as simple as just saying like, here's the emotion we want to target. Sometimes it is, or at least the construction of the ad. Sometimes what will be used is storytelling and storytelling can offer trigger some kind of empathetic mechanism, right? Like when you start connecting specifically with that scenario, when you share that story or when you have that one episode, that one incident, or that one story that will kind of convince you to do something, right? So like, Think of this, okay? So you've got those St. Jude infomercials that show an unfortunate child struggling with cancer treatment. You see the face, the child's name, often a sequence of scenes showing their grim expression while hooked up to several tubes, close up and lonely. I mean, it's really sad. Then it's followed by smiles wheeling around the hospital uh, with, with many other people like the nurses playing around with the other providers and the caregivers, just as the famous spokesperson talks to you about how you too can contribute to this child's happy turn by donating X dollars a month the price of a cup of coffee per day. That story is brilliantly written, right? You have sad problem. You have the outcome you want to see. You have somebody who has the ethos, right? The, the credibility to back it up, right? Because of their power. And then they give you something actionable and relatable, right? That storytelling is beautifully done and, and it convinces all of us to do something. Right. Very much so. There's, there's so many examples of this too. Trying to connect people to some kind of story is a, classic way to try and influence them and it is this is emotional marketing like that's part of it so let's also talk about this this contradiction and to help me out with this i have the ghost of prince dearly beloved we are gathered here today to get through this thing called emotions electric word life it means forever and that's a mighty long time but i'm here to tell you there's something else it's the environment and, and scene. <laughs> so I'm going to go ahead and let everybody know I am not nearly as cool as Prince. I am upset at Alan for prompting us to do it that way. But, you know, we did our best and that's all we can do these days. Right. OK, so some of the some of the research that's been done with emotions does suggest that these essentially are behaviors that we engage in that can precede other unique patterns of behaviors that we might then perform. So essentially that there that these emotions that happen that they are there's some kind of aversive event there's some kind of threat there's some kind of challenge there's some kind of demand there's some kind of incentive whatever it might be and the presence of a loved one and all of those contribute to something that we're more likely to do when we have that cue so a threat is a type of cue an incentive is a t- can be a type of cue how it's set up and so with those things in place then we're then likely to move toward whatever action is going to produce the the relevant outcome for that cue. If it's if it's a threat, then the relevant outcome is get away from the threat or avoid it altogether or shut it down or sometimes destroy it mm-hmm. can be the outcome. 
And if it is some kind of incentive, then it's to acquire whatever that in- that incentive is is proposing is going to be the outcome. There's some kind of reward or or some benefit of some kind or some privilege, maybe. And so all of those contribute to what kind of actions we're likely to take. These are subsequently either successful or not, depending on the very unique outcomes of of whatever you of whatever action you engage in, such that you will then learn to respond to that cue again in the future in a particular way. If that makes sense. And this is one of those things, too, that when you get into behaviorism, this is one of the big arguments is that emotions don't exist. And and radical behaviorists don't say that emotions don't exist. We just acknowledge them as a an environmental event that does contribute to certain behaviors or certain responses. Right. Like like if I'm angry, that might be a trigger for some other things. It might be a motivation for some other things. If I'm happy, that's going to be a motivation for me to continue doing those things. Right. So so when we start kind of identifying this idea of emotions. It's not that behaviorists don't think they exist. It's just that they are part of this complex series of events that lead to certain responses in certain outcomes. Call back to another episode we did on did behaviorism kill research on emotions. Yeah, there you go. See, we're, we're tying it all back. Yeah, we're doing the greatest hits, folks. <laughs> Why is this so effective? Right. So we understand to what degree like they use these, they construct these ads, they do all these things. So Why is this so effective? And the first one is that they're sometimes memorable, right? Like I remember exactly how the commercial for Crossfire goes from when we were kids. <laughs> and I partly remember that because it looked so cool. It looked awesome. It made me happy. The song made me happy. Crossfire. You get caught up in the. <laughs> Right. Like you can't help but remember that. And that ha- that that commercial happened like 30 years ago, just to put that in perspective. I'm going to just jump in real quick. This is going to sound very unrelated and that's OK. I'm just going to let it hang there. That's fine. You know, the word allegedly has been used so much recently that it's starting to feel like it's a, just a nonsense word that is almost like allegedly is like this definitely happened. Right. <laughs> but it's just that legal word. On an unrelated note, let's turn to our next point here, which is that content becomes more shareable. So it's this emotional yeah. thing. So don't we love retweeting and sharing all the real and fake news we can find, <laughs> whether it's Hillary's pizza pedophile ring or Matt Gates's alleged sex ring or Hollywood <laughs> sex ring? You know what? Why don't I have a sex ring? I'm probably really excluded here. <laughs> Where does somebody get a sex ring? Yeah, I'm feeling that loneliness, this lack of inclusion that now. <laughs> <laughs> that's how, that's what it is. And just stop by the Adam and Eve store. Yeah, yeah. There's, I'm sure there's sex rings there. So it's easy to share that information if it like makes sense and it's marketable and it appeals to emotions, right? Like you respond, you're angry, you share it, right? It makes perfect sense. Also, you know, the thing is, is, is part of the reason they're so effective is it does actually influence your your purchasing decisions. Like it sells a lifestyle like Apple's Think Different or Nike's Just Do It campaigns. They work. They work for a reason. They appeal to a certain lifestyle and a certain set of behaviors that fit that quote unquote value they've created. Right. You know, the positivity associated with all those emotions is very likely to prompt that purchasing behavior now and in the future, right? If it works, you're going to continue to do it, right? And it goes without saying that if Michael Jordan is a spokesperson, you're bringing home a paycheck, right? If you have Nike, like if Michael Jordan is the spokesperson for Nike, you're going to make money, right? I want to see what Michael Jordan's thoughts are on Space Jam 2, because more than likely, if Michael Jordan endorses it, I'm going to go see it, right? <laughs> it's fair. But, you know, if you have people like Jared from Subway, probably not the best spokesperson and and how do we keep getting back to sex stuff it doesn't make any sense that we keep reeling back to that yeah it seems like we've we've sort of 
hit the same notes over and over again in this episode. <laughs> Either we're shamelessly plugging ourselves or we're talking about sex or drugs or politics. I don't know. This got pretty we have a type. myopic. Yeah, yeah. We have a type fair. is what it is. <laughs> so why we do what we do brand. We've talked about this a little bit in the last episode, but there's this effective with emotional marketing. You, you can also get some customer loyalty and brand advocates. And man, one of the most genius ideas anybody ever had was getting you to wear the logo of a brand on your clothes. Seriously. (laughs) It's like there, you basically go to this company and you say, I'm going to pay you to advertise for you everywhere that I go. And they're like, yes, (laughs) yes. Brilliant. And we will, we will, all we will do is put that logo on different parts of the shirt and make it exclusive. And now you, now you own that. So if you lease a car through Toyota, it is of Alan's humble experience that they call him every time that he needs an oil change, check in on his life, and even offer complimentary coffee and muffins at his service appointments. (laughs) And ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you, muffins elicit one hell of a positive emotional reaction. So food for thought, Tesla. Food for thought. Literal food for thought. Literal coffee for thought. (laughs) So... Let's go back to this idea, right, of emotional marketing and see how it fits into this process, right? So you've got notice, remember, share, and buy. You notice, you get the customer to attend to whatever that stimulus is. What they do is they see that stimulus, they see that event, they see that ad, and they attend to it. And then they remember it, which ultimately brings that customer's behavior under control of whatever that event is. They not, and yet I shouldn't say control, but basically the behavior is influenced by that thing. What ends up happening is they they share that reinforcing event, they share that rewarding event with other people, and then they buy, right? They create a habitual pattern of consumption. They start engaging. So they see it, they remember it, they share it, and then they purchase under it. So they do all these things in this process, and it produces a certain behavioral pattern. Hashtag Tide Pods. <laughs> you did the hand thing too. I saw you. <laughs> I did, yeah. COVID-19 vaccines. What is the best way forward in getting people to take it? Now this is a whole topic we're going to be tackling. So let's just talk through some of the strategies. There's the pathos. This is shaming people, threatening them, that sort of thing. Ethos, getting celebrities, ex-presidents, mm-hmm. late night talk show hosts to back it up, take pictures of themselves, etc. Logos, this is the presenting real and objective data with the humility to say we're still working on it. Things look good. Being as honest and truthful with sharing the information as possible. Side note, Someone needs to conduct a study. Will the vaccine work if you don't post about it on social media? Jury is still out. Yeah. We haven't decided if that's a relevant variable yet. It's very important that right. we, f- we discover this. It's kind of like voting. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly right. Like if you didn't post a sticker, did you vote? So I didn't apparently. Uh, nope. <laughs> One thing to consider, and I don't want to get into this really heavy yet because we'll talk about this more. Uh-huh. But what, one thing to consider here is I think that understanding what the problem is, like I think looking at it from a marketing perspective of how can we set this up is important. And I think is ultimately going to be, some of these are going to be more effective for other, for some people like some of the campaigns, putting the pressure on people, creating incentives for doing this, you know, whatever the the ad campaigns, they're going to move some people toward it, but there seems to be like, you're not just competing with the fact that people might be questioning. You're competing with a whole slew of campaigns from the other direction using the same tactics. Yeah. So on the other side of the pro vaccine campaign is people who are shaming, threatening people. If they get the vaccine who are using celebrity, well, not necessarily celebrities, but some celebrities trying to use people who have wide notoriety in some 
way to encourage you not to get the vaccine. You've got fake data and fake research and fake analyses that are just made up, but that look real to try and make you think that there are question that the evidence is questionable. Yeah. They're again, they're trying to lean on these emotions of fear and anger. And at the same time, there's the, like, you should be afraid of this. It's not safe. It's a lot safer to get COVID and die from that than it is to get a vaccine that would prevent that from happening. And like, you should be angry at these people who want to save your life. I'm not being diplomatic here. I'm going to be diplomatic when we have this actual discussion, but, but no, like they're legitimately on the other side. And then, and then saying like, if you don't get the vaccine, you're going to have this, this happy, everything's going to go back to normal and everything's going to be hunky dory and everything's going to be great. And so it's, it is really leaning on every single aspect of this. And that's a huge, like to try and overcome all of that. That's a big ask. There's a lot of competing events going on like it is a tough spot to be in right now yeah that's a that's a lot that we got i think we we covered we covered emotional marketing yeah yeah i think we did it i mean do you want to do take on points real quick yeah i'm happy we split this into two because this would have been a really really long discussion otherwise yeah particularly with our tangents and everything but yes if you made it this far i'm happy you did thank you for sticking with us for two episodes i feel like we do we used to do a lot more two-parters and we kind of have have reduced how often we do that. But I think some quick take home points here is that eliciting emotional reactions has become this clever and systematic way of developing marketing strategies. And this really focuses on how particular emotional events will influence some unique pattern of behavior. And that is that is essential to trying to produce consumer behavior. And so essentially it's just there are a lot of ways to try and get people to do something. This is one of them yeah. is to try and lean on their emotions. Yeah. And, and emotions such as happiness, anger, fear, wanting to belong, greed, those five things that we, those hooks that we talked about in this episode are all generated from very carefully orchestrated modifications in sound, color, other visuals that they're, that are included in those ads and they act on the consumer's behavior, right? They, what they do is they change that person's behavior in a very predictable way. I mean, there's data to support how marketing works. I mean, it is a, an entire industry in itself, right? And, and they are predictable. There are intentional ways they do this and creating brand recognition, brand loyalty is all part of that process. And this is everywhere. I mean, this is, this is online, on our phones, on our billboards, on YouTube, on the games that we play on our phone, even our own jobs, you know, there'll be marketing for yeah. things because there are campaigns that people are interested in changing other people's behavior and they will go to various lengths to make that happen. Sometimes it's successful. Sometimes it's not for decades. Marketing companies have only gotten better and better at figuring out how to manipulate our behavior with these campaigns that they'll launch and they'll they'll only continue to get better and improve their tactics by figuring out what works by using AI and deep learning and, and machine learning, that sort of thing to better improve their ability to influence our decisions and our behavior. And I think in some cases, this could be a really good thing. In many cases, this is going to be a really dangerous thing. Yep. It just depends on, you know, who's who's got the tool and how they're using it. And it does seem like, and this wasn't really the intention of this discussion, but it seems like we do need some discussion about the ethics of this that need to become more common. And maybe, and maybe they're already part of this. We're not in the marketing field but I'm hoping that in that field, there are a lot of discussions about the ethics of using these tools. I would imagine there is, but mm, you know, to uphold them is probably a different thing. So yeah, definitely hard to enforce. Yeah. So, all right. Well, I think that wraps it up. I don't know that I have any more take home points on this. I have, I guess kind of one more thing to say, which is just to reiterate the point 
that the reason that this works is that when it elicits an emotion, it, it creates an incentive to either react to something in a way that is to prevent it from happening or avoid it from happening, or to incentivize you to work towards something that you want, some tangible outcome, some emotional outcome, whatever it is. Like Essentially, what they're trying to do is just set up some kind of emotion that is motivation for you to do what they want you to do. Right. Because there's a payoff for it. Right. And that payoff is either make bad thing go away or make good thing happen. Yeah. <laughs> That's the gist of it. And good thing happen could just be feeling good about it. Bad thing happen could just be feeling relieved about it. Right. So it's a wide spectrum, but that's essentially the process that they're leaning on. Yeah, that makes sense. So should we do our recommendations? Let's do it. Awesome. Recommendations. All right. I am going to recommend the show is now over, I think, by the time I'm recording. <laughs> yeah. By the time this is out, it should be by over. By the time this is out, it should be over. I'm going to recommend the show Falcon and Winter Soldier on Disney Plus. And I know I oh. sound like a big Marvel fanboy and I kind of am, but it's and this show, like, I think I, I would say at this point, generally, I liked WandaVision more mm -hmm. and I love the character development that they have done with the characters in the story has been awesome. It has been really cool to see them start to. I guess, explore what it means to have race be a much more prevalent factor in these characters and in the story. So I'm recommending it because I think that this is, it is definitely worth the watch. It's some cool storytelling. It also wrapped up in some interesting commentary, wrapped up in some just different ways of exploring these characters and this universe. So yeah, Falcon the Wonder Soldier. Yeah. I second that recommendation because I just love anytime Marvel gets a hold of something like they can do it big, they can do it small, but like there's something really cool about these smaller stories they tell. I just think that there's just there's something really special about that. Yeah, it's like like a, a very stretched out vignette. Totally into it. So my recommendation is the Snyder cut of the Justice League. So I'm going to sit. I'm going to give a caveat. It is not a perfect movie by any means. Yeah. The reason I like it, though, and also, too, I read something that was like 10% of the movies in slow motion. Only 10? <laughs> like, they, some, uh, yeah, something like that. But, like, what made me laugh was like all the flashes scenes are in slow motion, and you're like, yeah, like, okay. Those have to be, which is just ironic, I think. But, but when you are like, I love the idea of an artist getting their due, right? Like, there is something to be said about when you have an artist who has a vision and they put something together, whether it's good or bad to celebrate that artist's vision in some level and give them the opportunity to show their vision to the world, I think is something very special. And, you know, when you have like a studio come in and mess up that vision and then you start compromising and you do all these things, it just becomes a significant problem. I mean, you saw this happen with alien three, right? If you watch alien three, it is a very different movie. The director's cut versus the studio cut. And this is exactly what happened with justice league, right? You have justice league, which is Joss Whedon's <laughs> version of it which is a horrible train wreck. And then you have Zack Snyder's version, which is not a mess, but it's definitely, you can see what he was going for. And it's definitely put together so much better than that other version. So it's long. It's four hours long. Yeah. But it is worth sitting down and watching and enjoying. I watched it over three nights and I really appreciated just appreciate the fact that he got his vision out. Like, I think that's important. I would second that recommendation also with the sort of caveat that this is uh, what I would do. It's split into five parts. I think if I remember is I would watch 
each one of them as if it were an episode. So watch part one, yeah. then take a break. This is a very long movie. Mm-hmm. And it flows pretty well. I feel like it's, it is, in my opinion, too long. Yeah. But it, it feels like a cohesive story. Like, it's not, it's not an amazing movie, but it is one of... It is so much better than the original cut. Yeah. It's the movie it was supposed to be. Yeah. I mean, it's much more watchable. I, just everything about it. The payoffs are better. The stakes are better. The visuals are better. It is everything in this movie works better than the original. Like, there's not one thing that was better in the set 2017 release. Yeah. Agreed. Than this one. Yeah. So anyway, sorry. I didn't mean to step all over your recommendation there. No. I'm in. I'm, I'm for it. Okay. Uh, you have anything else on uh, on emotional marketing or or on uh, uh, <laughs> the Snyder Cut? Nope, not today. Not today. All right. I want to thank our Patreons, Justine, Selena, Megan, and Mike, and Shauna. At the time that we're recording this, if you would like to join that list, join us on Patreon. Thank you so much for listening all the way through these two episodes. Thank you for recording with me today, Shane. Of course. Thank you, Alan, for his work on these notes. If you are still an emotional marketer or you've since joined that that league since our last episode <laughs> then let us know how that's going for you if you would like to recommend a movie or tv show that you are into that you've seen recently then please do so you can post about it mm-hmm. we'll be actually what we're going to be posting about this the saturday after this episode comes out we're going to send out a post with these recommendations give people a few days to listen to this and ask you to tell us what your favorite, I guess maybe superhero TV shows or movies are. Yeah. And let's, let's see if we can, we can get some interaction there. We'll, we'll respond to those. Yep. So um, reach out to us on all the social media platforms. You can also email us directly. If you have any comments, questions, concerns, thoughts, answers, emotional marketing at info at www.podcast.com. Anything else, Dr. Shane? That's going to be it. Dr. Abraham. All right. This is Abraham. And this is Shane. We're out. See ya. You've been listening to Why We Do What We Do. Why We Do What We Do is supported in part by our amazing patrons. Thank you. If you like what you heard, consider becoming a patron by heading to patreon.com slash podcast. You can also rate and review us wherever you get your podcast or share this episode with your friends. If you have any comments or questions, we'd love to hear from you. Find us at Podcast on your favorite social media platforms. You can learn more about this and other episodes by going to www.podcast.com. There, you'll find links as well as detailed and shareable show notes. Why We Do What We Do is researched and produced by Abraham, Ryan O., Shane, and Miranda. Artwork and logo design by Andrew Pollock at nogdesigns.com. Video and production assistance from Tyler Brassier with music courtesy of Justin Greenhouse. Thanks for listening, and we hope you have an awesome day. So if you lease a car through Toyota, uh, Toyota, wow. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus Christ. If you lease a car through Toyota, man, sorry. (laughs) If you lease a car through Jesus Christ. (laughs) (laughs) Holy roller. (laughs) That's what I'd call that car. (laughs) Stigmiata. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Oh, man.